Today is Wednesday, August the 9th, 2023. Welcome to the award-winning Personal Computer Show. I'm Hank Key, and do you know who has your personal data? Do you know how big tech companies are using your personal data? We have been bringing computer industry news, hardware and software reviews, guest interviews, and news of user group meetings for the past 40 years. The Personal Computer Show is a three-time winner of the prestigious National Computer Press Awards. The first broadcast of the Personal Computer Show was on August the 4th, 1983. We are now starting our 41st year, and we thank everyone who has supported the show. My colleague Joe King passed away late last year, and I have been contemplating the future of the program. I've decided to continue the show. It had for many years been a core-in talk show. The pandemic causing studio lockdown has altered our format. The listener core-in format enable us to know what technology issues were on the mind of the listeners. Our only advocacies are consumerism and the First Amendment. I welcome you, the listeners, to provide feedback as to what you want to hear. Address your suggestions to hank at pcradioshow.org. Our website is www.pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Progressive Radio Network, www.prn.live, streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on www.prn.live on the Internet. You can leave us a message with your question or comment at hank at pcradioshow.org. Microsoft is shutting down its digital assistant, Cortana. The voice helper will no longer be available as a standalone app on Windows as it phase-out draws to a close. Cortana's namesake was the female artificial intelligence from the Halo video game series. The arrival of generative AI chatbots that can answer virtually any question has made digital assistants like Alexa and Siri, well, look quaint. Amazon and Apple's voice bots that live inside phones, speakers, and cars can only complete a finite number of tasks. Asking Siri for the weather is fine, but if you want help planning a road trip or writing a work email, you'll need ChatGBT smarts. With everyone from Meta to Amazon giving more mindshare to AI chatbots, are the days of the digital assistant numbered? Microsoft certainly seemed to think so. The tech giant is killing off Cortana, the Alexa rival that it first introduced to the world back in 2014. As a result, Windows users will no longer be able to access the virtual assistant's dedicated app starting this month. Microsoft phases out Cortana. Its presence on Windows has been diminished, whereas Cortana's female voice could once be heard the moment you started up a new Windows PC, the bot went silent in June of last year, saying, Hey Cortana, to your computer also won't help as the virtual assistant is turned off by default. All told, it appears that Microsoft has taken on board the negative feedback from users who never took to the bot in the first place. Still, it's a far cry from the company's original plans for its digital helper. Cortana was supposed to be Microsoft's answer to Amazon's Alexa. 
The bot was meant to help out with your daily task, play music, check the weather, and control your smart home. The assistant got its start on Microsoft's ill-fated Windows Phone operating system. It was named after Cortana, the fan-favorite artificial intelligence from Xbox hit video game series Halo. As part of Microsoft's big plans for the bot, Cortana would gradually appear on computers, Apple and Google's mobile app stores, Xbox consoles, and a long smart speakerphone from audio company Harman Kardon. Windows' massive install base alone meant Cortana had a solid launch pad, but none of it mattered when the bot simply wasn't up to scratch. Cortana often spewed out-of-date information and gradually lost its consumer skills, including music and connected home controls. By 2020, Microsoft had pivoted to offering the assistant to business customers. Now, the bot is officially saying goodbye on Windows. Can you still use Cortana? It's not all bad news for Cortana loyalists. As Microsoft states, you can still access the assistant on other services such as Outlook, email app, and in Teams. To compensate for Cortana's removal, Microsoft is pointing users toward its new AI tools and other voice features. These include its Bing AI chat service, which is powered by ChatGPT creator OpenAI's most powerful language model, GPT-4. The chatbot is already baked into Windows 11, where it can help you with productivity tasks like rewriting or summarizing content. Microsoft is also plugging AI into its premium Office apps to help you edit Word documents and Excel spreadsheets. So should Katana Demise be viewed as a death knell for digital assistants? Don't count them out just yet. Both Google and Apple are turning to generative AI to supercharge their voice bots in a bid to make them more useful. Google is reportedly rebooting its assistant by harnessing the same tech that power its ChatGPT alternative known as BARD. Apple, meanwhile, is said to be testing out a generative AI chatbot on its employees, referred to internally as Apple GPT, which plans to make a significant announcement next year. NASA mistakenly severs communication to Voyager 2. Thankfully, the probe regularly phones home to fix this sort of mess. NASA revealed on Friday that its venerable Voyager 2 probe is currently incommunicado because the space agency pointed its antenna in the wrong direction. By the time the news was released, the antenna on the spacecraft had been pointing two degrees away from the Earth for over a week. This left it without the ability to receive commands or transmit data to antenna operated by the Deep Space Network, that's DSN. NASA reckons the situation is temporary and will not end the probe's nearly 46-year stint in space as it is programmed to recalibrate its position a few times a year. October 15th is the next scheduled reset. The space organization added that Voyager 2's trajectory is expected to remain unchanged. The probe is currently around 32 billion kilometers from Earth and gets 15 kilometers further away every second. 
The glitch does not impact Voyager 1, which is currently almost 24 billion clicks away from Earth and hurtling along at 70 kilometers per second while staying in touch with home. Voyager's 2 electrical system was tweaked earlier this year in the hope of extending its working life. If that procedure produces good results, a similar adjustment to Voyager 1 is on the cards. In 2022, Voyager 1 also experienced elementary woes. Scientists found it sent back garbage information to mission control. It transpired that data was being routed incorrectly by a computer that had not worked for years. Engineers at that time performed telesurgery to correct the issue, which essentially meant commanding the attitude, articulation, and control system, that's the AACS, to resume sending the data to the right computer, and so the probe carried on. In the past, engineers have compared keeping the probes operational to keeping an old car running. The tech is severely outdated, yet it keeps ticking over a trend often seen in the spacecraft of past decades. But while old cars can be lovingly worked on by hand in real time, the voyagers are over 20 light hours from Earth and communications crawls along at a tedious 160 bits per second. Voyager 2 was launched on August 20th in 1977 and carries on board technology that was custom-built for the mission. The spacecraft carries six onboard computers, with two of each kind used for redundancy. The computers are proprietary and were built from CMOS and transistor-transistor logic TTL medium-scale integrated circuits and discrete components. The Voyager 2 spacecraft carries five science investigation teams consisting of the magnetic field investigation, low-energy charged particle investigation, cosmic ray investigation, plasma investigation, that's on the Voyager 2 only, and plasma wave investigation. These teams are supported by five instruments on board the spacecraft that directly provide scientific data to them, which are the magnetic field instrument, that's the MAG, low energy charge particle instrument, that's LECP, cosmic ray instrument, CRS, plasma instrument, PLS, and plasma wave instrument, PWS. During its mission, Voyager 2 has made many important discoveries, including the first human-made object to fly past Uranus and Neptune. Amongst the discoveries were 10 new moons and two new rings at Uranus, and five moons, four rings, at a great dark spot at Neptune. As of July 2019, Voyager 2 continued to return data from five instruments as it travels through interstellar space and is still considered an impressive technological feat given the time of its launch and the technology used. The Federal Communication Commission just shut down a major pipeline for robocalls. The FCC said it identified a large source of robocalls and has cracked down on the company. The FCC said that its robocall response team identified One Owl Telecom as a gateway company that has let international robocalls flood in. The commission sent a notice to telephone providers advising them to block traffic from One Owl Telecom, whose connections serve as an on-ramp 
to U.S.-based networks pending compliance with an enforcement notice sent earlier. In the notice, the FCC said it found substantial amounts of illegal robocalls spawning from one owl. The company conducted an undisclosed number of calls claiming to be from AMC Trading LLC and other fake companies. Cause would ask for delivery confirmation of a non-existent order or to confirm a pre-authorized order placed in your name. Robocalls remain a problem that virtually everyone, from the carriers to the FCC to consumers, agrees needs to be solved. Yet robocalls topped 50.3 billion, that's with a B, last year, according to UMail. That's roughly equal to 2021, despite increased efforts to squash them. Globally, these scam calls are estimated to cost subscribers $58 billion a year. The FCC found the company was previously run under the names Illum, Telecommunications, and One Eye. Scam calls spawning from One Owl use masking techniques to hide their identities. This makes it difficult to find the sources. The FCC is shifting focus to the lines robocallers use to harass people. The Enforcement Bureau chief said in an email, Our investigators and industry partners in the Traceback Consortium are not fooled by these tactics. We will remain vigilant to protecting consumers in the United States from being bombarded with scam communications originating from overseas. The FCC previously issued a mandate blocking all traffic from one eye. The problem is this company has changed names repeatedly to avoid shutting down. One Owl has 48 hours to shut down illegal robocalls. The FCC also requested the company provide a plan to stop scam calls within 14 days. FCC Chairwoman Jessica Rosenwarsel said in a statement, We are determined to use every tool we have to get these sorts of scams off our networks, including cutting them off at the source. These scam artists can try to duck and hide, but we'll keep coming for them until we get this junk off the line. The robocall response team works across agencies to block robocall scams. 44 states have signed partnership with the team. So far, there has been a 99% decrease in auto warranty scams. Student loan scams are down by 80% check check, down by 88% month to month, and the team stopped predatory mortgage robocalls in the United States. The agency has also led the charge to ensure all wireless carriers use a robocall protection standard called Stir and Shaken, which helps identify the, the numbers behind scam calls. I have another alternate solution that they could try. The companies that are issuing these robocalls, they are companies in the United States. Why don't you just find those companies for doing it? Gmail encouraging users to enable enhanced safe browsing. Google has been promoting enhanced safe browsing in the Gmail apps. Appearing just above your inbox on Android and the web, getting additional protection against phishing is the main benefit for Gmail users. Turn on the enhanced safe browsing to get additional protection against dangerous emails. This is what Google had to say. Provide real-time security scanning to warn you about or block dangerous websites, downloads, and extensions. 
improve Google's ability to detect and protect against phishing and malware for you and everyone on the web, give you better protection from dangerous links across Google's apps, and Gmail enhanced safe browsing was introduced three years ago in Chrome, and enhanced safe browsing provides real-time web protections. The standard non-enhanced version works by checking the URL of sites you visit against a local list that is downloaded and refresh every 30 minutes. This list is widely used by many other apps and browsers. Google created enhanced safe browsing because sophisticated phishing sites got around the update period. Uncommon URLs are sent in real time to determine whether you're about to visit a phishing site, with Chrome also sending a small sample of pages and suspicious download. While Gmail, Google Drive, and other apps you sign on to contribute data. Later on, enhanced safe browsing expanded to provide warnings about Chrome extensions, conduct in-depth file analysis, leverage ML models, and is also now available in Chrome for iOS. How do you enable enhanced safe browsing? If you see the Gmail prompt, it will take you to this page to enable myaccount.google.com forward slash account hyphen enhance dash safe dash browsing. I'll repeat that. myaccount.google.com forward slash account dash enhance dash safe browsing. Gmail enhanced safe browsing is also accessible in Chrome settings by going to Chrome colon slash slash settings slash security. Microsoft releases its own system tuning app for Windows 10 and 11. Many PC Windows users have always wanted to closely monitor all aspects of this system to ensure maximum performance. It was a necessary habit back in the day since we were dealing with slow hard drives, bloated software, and operating systems that were known to expand over time until they became unusable. Things are much different now, thanks to solid-state drives, but there's still a place for free utilities that let us run a health check on our PCs occasionally. Although apps like CCleaner have been the preferred utility before and still are for some, Microsoft now has a free utility that offers similar functionality for Windows 10 and 11. The program is available in the Microsoft Store and is aptly named PC Manager. It's currently only available as a beta, but it's a small download. It's quite snappy, and in my time with it, I've experienced no issues at all. Overall, it's designed to boost your PC performance, according to Microsoft. It's a one-stop shop to theoretically speed up your PC by letting you delete unnecessary files, terminate memory-hogging apps, and manage your storage and startup your settings. It combines various Windows areas into a unified app, making for a quick way to double-check some settings. Once you install and run the app, it will automatically dock to the right side of your display. However, due to its size, you probably don't want to keep it open as it's pretty large for an app designed to be docked. You can minimize it to the system tray, or you can terminate the app 
and have it reside in the taskbar. Regardless, the main menu offers four sections. Health Check shows you possibly unneeded files like browser and system cache, log files and temporary files. You can also disable startup items here, but it only provides a low, medium and high ranking for the amount of system resources they use. Clicking Storage Manager brings up two new options that let you delete even more extraneous files or hunt for files of a certain size. Clicking Deep Cleanup performs a system scan and shows you even more files than the health check found, and they are all from Windows and its apps. You can also manage large files by selecting a file type and size and letting it show you what you have on your storage device. This is an easy way to find specific files you may not be aware of taking up space, though the largest file size allow for searches greater than one gigabyte. The last two segments of the app, Process Management and Startup Apps, let you terminate running programs and easily disable startup apps. For your programs, it shows you which processes are currently running and how much memory you are using, which is also information available in Task Manager. You can just glance at an app, decide it's using too much memory, and kill quickly. You can also toggle startup items on and off based on their resource ranking. There's some duplication here as startup apps are also available in the health check area. Finally, a security tab at the bottom lets you run Windows Update or quickly change your default browser. Microsoft does not force you to switch to Edge. Instead, it shows you which browsers are installed and lets you ensure your default is selected or quickly change it. I have included Microsoft PC Manager into my toolkit of installed apps when I do installations. I don't worry too much about PC performance these days like I used to in the 90s and early 2000s. The app is fast, lightweight, and seems like the type of no-frills tools. I don't mind using it now and then to check on all my Windows installed systems. Since it's free, there's no harm in trying it out. Microsoft should bake PC Manager into future versions of Windows. Presenting the IT Pro Series with Benjamin Rockwell. This is Benjamin Rockwell, and now it's time to get down to business. This is where we spend some time focusing on IT, the workplace, and how it all intertwines together. I had an interesting question come from Tim and it, it, it reads like this. I'm new to the IT industry and feel like there's sometimes when it's hectic and sometimes when it's boring. How do you handle the slow parts? So it's it's interesting, depending on what you do in the IT industry, there are going to be times where it mimics the frenetic nature of law enforcement. And, I, and I, I, I'm getting this from a book that I read years ago, and it went something like this. It's uh, where law enforcement is 98% sitting around doing nothing and 2% scared for your life. And, um, and the IT industry kind of mirrors that. Not You're not quite scared for your life. You're not quite that 
far gone when you're dealing with IT. But there is a certain level of tension, a certain level of times when you do have to come through and you do have to be a little bit more of the hero of the day. The person who's addressing why the network is down and why there are 500 people right now that cannot open up Excel or whatever it is that they're doing. Outlook, uh, you know, see the Internet. So we've got that part of the job handled, that 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 part of the of the the life of the IT guy where, yeah, we, we're going to go in there and we're going to be the hero. We're going to rescue everybody and all of that. We're going to fix everything up. But you're right. There are slow times. There are going to be times where things get slow. So what do we do? I will tell you, I do two things. Uh, one of them is I sit down and I start documenting all kinds of different things. I document policies. I document uh, what, how we're dealing with installation of a software, how we're addressing this, that, or the other thing. I will document out portions of the network. I will document out all of the things that need documenting. The other thing that I do is I work on learning. I work on gaining more information in regards to the IT world. So if you're new in the IT industry, you're probably you're probably just part of a team of people. Uh, and, and when you're a part of a team of people, you've got to find out what the other people are doing. So go ask questions. Go and find out what they're doing. Find out how you can be a better IT person. Take classes. A lot of the online learning that's out there is is a stop and go kind of learning. It's no longer, okay, you've got to go off and you've got to sit in this classroom for a matter of uh, eight hours a day for three weeks or six weeks or a week, whatever it is. You take the class online. Yes, there are organized classes. There are organized boot camps where you dive in and you go you go and you focus on learning something. But depending on how you want to handle these things, you know, there's a, a number of different uh, companies out there. Pluralsight and Linda are, are two of them. Uh, I know LinkedIn has their own learning aspects. There's a few different things along the way. And just gaining that information. Now, here's the neat thing. At a certain point, you're going to gain information. And then what I want you to do is the advanced portion of combining both of those. You gain that information in and then you start documenting that. You start writing it up. You start putting together your own understanding of what it is. There's an age old thing that. If you really, really want to want to know something, you want to learn it really well, learn how to teach it. Learn how to tell this information to somebody else. And that's actually one of the one of the ways that I wound up doing radio was because I went with that approach, a matter of learning all of these different things along through the computer industry. I I have a wide range of knowledge when it comes to computers and technology, a wide range of experience. 
So when we put all of this together, when we start putting all of this together, we start finding ways to fill our time. Sure, it's going to be boring. Sure, there's going to be times when you aren't going to feel like you're advancing very far because nothing's happening. But get proactive. Find out, you know, this is another thing, too, that, you know, it's not here on my list that I was going to talk about. But one of the things that I I loved doing was going out to people and finding out what their struggles were with our IT department. Find out where they're running into roadblocks. Find out ways that you can help them. Yeah, you can fill the time. You can go through and you can just sit there bored out of your mind. But I will tell you, you will get sick of the industry doing that. You will wind up growing very blasé about how your career is going to go. Instead, get excited, get geeky, get nerdy, dive in and go find out more stuff. And this applies to everybody. Everybody in the workplace, find out more about IT. Find out more about your IT department. Find out more about how to fix paper jams or fix your computer when it's running a little slower or whatever it is. Seek to improve yourself. This is Benjamin Rockwell. Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin. FCC approval for the first time, free OTA TV by 5G. What is free OTA TV? Free OTA TV, which is over-the-air TV, refers to television broadcasts that can be received through an antenna using frequencies allocated for the public use by the Federal Communications Commission. These signals are broadcasted by local broadcast towers and can be received by anyone with an antenna that is able to pick up the signal. The broadcasts typically include popular network channels such as ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, PBS, and more. OTA programming is free to anyone with an antenna since local affiliates can broadcast for free thanks to their business models that generate revenue from consumer viewership of ads commercials, and sponsorships. This means there are no fees, subscriptions, or other expenses associated with accessing these channels, making them an attractive option for cord cutters looking to save money on their entertainment expenses. Recently, station WWOOLD Boston has received permission to use 5G to offer free OTA TV from the FCC. This new 5G TV service will enable smartphones, tablets, and any devices, including TVs with a 5G chipset, to receive TV signals, making free OTA TV more accessible on the go. Recent developments in technology on both the transmit and receive sides, combined with an ever-increasing appetite for video and data on mobile devices, make this the perfect time to build and test 5G broadcasting. Bringing broadcast to 5G can help reduce congestion from sending data and video millions of times to connected devices using a one-to-one model. WWOO's proposed 5G broadcasting will use a one-to-many model 
to eliminate the traffic jams. The tests should not interfere with the 5G services, but they will stop testing if any issues do come up. 5G broadcasting will use lower towers and lower power than their full power brethren and so far is experiencing no interference during testing. Around 75% of all broadcasters in the United States use low power stations. The value of sending out in-demand streams and data via broadcast are immeasurable from long-distance learning to high-definition encrypted video to first responders to filling holes in areas unserved by the Internet. They have already set up testing with first responders, and it appears that they can get better, faster, and information not just in their test market, but potentially nationwide. They have all of the pieces ready to test this, from content creation to transmission to receivers in every form, including mobile phones and tablets, so that when FCC approves this license, we can be on the air in days. WWOO has until January 2024 to complete its testing as part of the FCC approval. First generation of solar panels will wear out. How will they be recycled? A recycling industry is taking shape. Plans to address climate change rely on massively scaling up clean solar electricity, but recycling solar panels can be a challenge. Sunlight beats down on a graveyard for dead solar panels in Yuma, Arizona. Hundreds stacked in neat piles, waiting for their next life. The great majority of worn and damaged panels are still dumped in landfills. But with more and more piling up, many people know that needs to change. In this desert city where Arizona, California, Sonora, and Baja, California meet, North America's first utility-scale solar panel recycling plant has opened to address what founders of We Recycle Solar call a tsunami of solar waste. Plans to address Climate change rely on massively scaling up clean solar electricity. The panels, stacked and banded, come here from the company's main collection warehouse in Hackettstown, New Jersey, plus six other locations across the country. Workers maneuver the stacks into the sprawling 75,000-square-foot facility on forklifts, then gently lift each out by hand to begin separating by brand and model. Some only have a few cracks in their glass, sometimes from storm damage. These can be reused, and there is a market for them. Clients around the world who search for refurbished panels for their affordability. The Yuma facility is like your local thrift store that looks to upcycle. Those that don't go towards testing and resale head down a conveyor belt where glass, metals, and other materials with value are separated. Solar panels are built to withstand decades of harsh weather, so it's difficult to break the resilient bonding that keeps them together. Separating the glass without it shattering, for example, is a challenge, but with robotic suction arms assisted by workers, they do come apart. Some of the highest value materials are copper, silver, aluminum, glass, and crystalline silicon. Repurposing these means finding new uses for them, such as selling glass to companies that do sandblasting. Solar energy is a great technology. 
It can feed a whole industry like aluminum and glass. We are spending tens of millions of dollars on these materials from overseas when we can produce them right here. Copper is one of the metal the recycling yields. Granted, it's not a lot of pounds per solar panel, but when we do 10,000 pounds of solar panels an hour, we end up with, a well, 100 pounds of copper an hour coming out of it. The aluminum could come back as more solar panel frames, or it could go into the flight deck of a new Boeing aircraft. By 2050, solar waste will total some 78 million tons globally. The reason recycling and recovery isn't robust yet is that companies struggle to justify the $30 per panel cost when it costs only $1 to send it to a landfill. If we hope to one day see 100% of retired solar recycled, let's not make it any more expensive than what it would cost to landfill the module. Let's not have it cost the consumer anything and instead have it break even for the recycler. The European Union has rules that require recycling of electronic waste under its Waste Electrical and Electronic Waste Directive, otherwise with acronym WEEE. Market researcher estimates that the global market at $130 million for last year and growing fast, boosted in part by incentives offered in the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States. As fast as possible, once the solar panels go into the landfill, they're gone, unless we go back and mine the landfill. It is estimated that in 20 years, people will mine landfills to recover the valuable materials in the junk panels, but it makes an awful lot more sense for us to separate them now. The Yuma facility can process 7,500 panels in a single day, or roughly 69 million pounds per year, and as of early June, it estimates more than 650,000 tons of carbon dioxide has been avoided. It is reusing about 60% of the panels that come in. The company plans to open another recycling facility alongside a large solar manufacturer in the Georgia, North Carolina, and South Carolina corridor. For now, solar recycling companies are still figuring out how to make money. Reselling refurbished solar panels for resale are subsidizing some of the recycling costs. Researchers are hard at work on solving the challenges of profitability, recycling, and refurbishing solar panels. For many people, a quantum computer is just a buzzword. Well, what is a quantum computer, and how does it differ from classical digital computers? A quantum computer follows a different set of rules compared to a classical or digital computer. While classical computers use binary digits or bits which can be either 0 or 1, quantum computers use quantum bits or qubits. The main difference between bits and qubits is that while bits can only be in one state, either 0 or 1, qubits can exist in multiple states at the same time, a phenomena called superposition. Additionally, qubits can be entangled, meaning that the state of one qubit can influence the state of another qubit, even if they are far apart from each other. This allows quantum computers to perform certain types of calculations much faster than classical computers. 
While classical computers perform operations sequentially, a quantum computer can perform many calculations simultaneously. So, what is all this analogous to? The typical path to a law degree consumes three years of law school after first obtaining a bachelor's degree. Most earn their bachelor's degree in four years, so that is an undergraduate and postgraduate education of seven years. Thousands of hours of study and hundreds of tests through which smart lawyers learn that the answer to most legal questions is, it depends. Therefore, quantum computers hold enormous potential for the future because they can solve computational problems much faster than classical computers. However, they are very challenging to build and operate as the entanglement of qubits make them very fragile and prone to errors. Their experimental implementation is still in the early stages and it is still unclear how quickly it can be scaled up up to many qubits and made reliable. To contrast, classical computers follow a set of rules called Boolean logic using binary zeros and ones. They can perform a wide range of operations and can run various software applications, from simple browsers to complex machine learning systems. Although they may not be as powerful as quantum computers, they continue to be essential to our daily lives as they help us in various applications in banking, telecommunications, and weather forecasting. Progress towards fully capable and practical quantum computers isn't slowing down. And researchers from Google are the latest to announce a significant step forward in the capabilities of today's machines. While we call these devices quantum computers, they're more like prototypes of what quantum computers can be. At present, they require super-specific extreme conditions to operate in and struggle to stay stable and error-free. Despite those limitations, their computing potential is becoming more impressive all the time. The latest system run by Google has a total of 70 operational qubits, the quantum equivalence of a classical bits that can represent one or zero or both at the same time, potentially allowing for certain calculations to be performed at astonishing speeds. Specifically, the team used a complex synthetic benchmark called random circuit sampling, which is exactly what it sounds like, taking readings from the randomly generated quantum processes. This maximizes the speed of critical actions, reducing the risk of outside noise, destroying the calculations. They then estimate how long it would take existing supercomputers to run the same sums. We conclude that our demonstration is firmly in the regime of beyond classical quantum computation, write the researchers in their recent paper. The Frontier supercomputer, currently the most powerful computer in the world, would take a little over 47 years to crunch the same numbers the researchers suggest, whereas a Sycamore quantum computer manages it in mere seconds. A group, including Google engineers, did something similar in 2019 with 53 qubits. Then, as now, there's a debate to be had about how useful and practical these particular simulations are and how fair or otherwise it is to compare supercomputer performance to what has been managed here. Nevertheless, the Google team is clear in its claims that this demonstrates quantum supremacy, the idea that quantum computers really can deal with processes above 
and beyond anything that even the latest classical computers can cope with. The new experiments also tell us more about how quantum noise, the inherent uncertainty and fragility in a quantum computer as it operates in a fuzzy landscape of probabilities, can have an impact on processes as they're running in some cases lead to new phases or states in a quantum system. Working through this noise to correctly record qubit states is essentially in getting quantum computers functioning properly. And we've seen scientists try and tackle the problem in a variety of ways in the past. These latest experiments represent another major milestone in quantum computing research. The squabbling about whether we have reached or indeed could reach quantum supremacy is now resolved. So a quantum computer is, well, a yes and a no and a maybe. It sounds human to me. Presenting Technology Chatter with Benjamin Rockwell and Marty Winston. Marty Winston joins me now. And Marty, what do you have for us this week? Ooh, from our friends at Anchor, that's Anchor yeah, with a yeah. K, their Solix F2000 portable power rollabout. Now, Solix may be new to you. Yeah. They changed a brand. Okay. It used to be Powerhouse. This unit used to be the Powerhouse okay. 767. It's now the Solix F2000. It's a beefy rollabout, 2,400-watt multiple format portable power supply with a total battery capacity of 2,048 watt-hours. Wow. Okay. That's, that's some serious power there. Okay. Yeah. Well, I've got a serious need for it. Out here, we're on well and septic, and some of the storms mm -hmm. that come through yeah. take us off the grid. Mm -hmm. And that happens. Falling rain or melting snow can send a lot of fluid down our footer drains and into the basement sump pump bucket. Yeah. No no power, no sump pump, and if that bucket overflows, it's not nice for the basement floor. How, how much power does a sump pump use? I, I, I've, I, I've never really known. Uh, it all depends on the pump, and uh, generally I've got two pumps hooked up to this thing. Yeah. And in, when, when I unplug the unit to see if the pumps were okay, they were. So I can't tell you, but this is enough. <laughs> All right. There we go. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and that second sump pump uh, is uh, sanitary sewage, what we call brown water. Uh, happily, the Solix F2000 has an operating mode that lets it work like a UPS. Okay. So I plug this thing into wall power. I've got the pumps plugged into it. It keeps itself charged. It keeps powering whatever's plugged into it from wall power as long as there's power coming from the mm -hmm. wall. Mm-hmm. Or it will produce AC power about 20 milliseconds after the grid goes away. So it's fast. You know, yeah, you're not yeah. going to miss 20 milliseconds of the pump not turning on yet. Mm -mm. No. <laughs> <be okay>. <laughs> <laughs> sure. It's got the headroom to handle the surge power it takes to start a pump. That was very important. And okay, yeah, fortunately, yeah. it's unlikely that both pumps will try to start at the same time. Even in good weather, they tend to run less than 10% of the time. It waits until there's enough in that bucket yeah, yeah. before they turn on. Uh, AC power isn't the only thing there, it's also got a 12-volt type card, uh, accessory sock, and five advanced USB charging ports, remote monitoring on my handset through Bluetooth, because why monitor when you're off-site? You can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And anyway, really, how long is the Wi-Fi up once power fails? Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm, I'm kind of crazy like that. I have yeah. a battery backup for my <laughs> Wi-Fi, but, yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and my fiber coming in. So, yeah. 
Yeah, there's a lot here. It's 68 pounds and mercifully with big twin top handles, rear roller wheels and luggage style telescoping handle. It, uh, well, it, it, I can roll it or I can handle it's, it's it. It's a big it, ice. The Solid's 2000 about two grand, but stubborn oh, shopping yeah. may have even nicer prices. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I was I was expecting a big price tag on that. The twenty four hundred watts. That's yeah. That's, it, a, that's a chunk a, of power. Yeah. It, it's a butte. It yeah. is a butte. Uh, how much time do we have? We've got about three minutes. All right. Let's go to the Beebird Visual Tweezers. Yeah. Now I could be a show off and call this an otoscopic debilitory instrument, but what we're really oh, talking oh, oh, about? Wait. Wait. Oh, what? Say otoscopic that depilatory instrument. Okay. It's tweezers. Stainless steel yeah. tweezers well, with a teensy high-def yeah. camera inside. Uh, the B-Bird. Okay, okay yeah. go on, go on. Visual tweezer has a built-in 1080p, 20 frame per second video camera. You can low band 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi, link it to apps that run on an Apple or Android device. Mm -hmm. The app okay. delivers a dual image with both you and the tweezer eye view on screen. It's pretty useful. Mm -hmm. You'd be surprised at what your eyes can't see, even with a mirror, the shield, you know, go in your ear. You can't see there. <laughs> I wanted it for the little hairs on my earlobes, but Beebird also suggests using these to tweeze eyebrows, splinters, acne, or those little anywhere hairs. It comes with a USB charging cord and picks up an hour of runtime from a 45-minute charge. The Beebird Visual Tweezer, 35 bucks at B-E-B-I-R-D-U-S. BeeburdUS.com. Uh, th this is a first. Y you have managed to find a high-tech tweezer. I I'm just, <laughs> I I'm just amazed by that. All right, we've got a minute and a half left. Uh, what are we going to do with a minute and a half? Uh, I, I think I want to raise a question that uh, we crossed email with. Anybody out there using Microsoft 365? I'm, I, I, I'm sure there's plenty of people doing that, yeah. And next year is what? Next year is 2024. A leap year. It's a leap year. Oh, no. <laughs> so if it's Microsoft 365, what day will it choose to not work? Huh. Um, okay. So leap day sounds intuitive. I hope it April isn't Fool's that. April Fool's Day might work. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Uh, you know, maybe some, some holiday. You know we're supposed to uh, we're supposed to put the flags at half staff on Memorial Day, so maybe it, maybe it won't oh, work right on here. that day. We're not supposed to work. We're supposed to uh, go outside and grill hot dogs. And there's Halloween. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's, there's a spooky day for your apps to not work. And you know it may come out to be you know January first or Feb 29th or December 31st or Bill Gates' birthday. I don't know, but it's 365. <laughs> Are you fibbing to us? Are we getting underserved? Maybe they'll rename it next year. It'll be Office 366, but just for one year. Or 365 and a quarter, and you can accumulate <laughs> the average. <laughs> there you go. All right, this is Benjamin Rockwell. That's Marty Winston. Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin, and thank you, Marty. Public service announcements. Computer club meetings in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, tri-state region. Log on to the club website for more information on remote meeting ID. The New York Amateur Computer Club has a presentation on health and technology, Thursday, August the 10th. Meeting time is 7 p.m., online virtual meeting via Zoom 
and the website is nyacc.org. The Long Island Macintosh Users Group meets Friday, August the 11th. Meeting time is 7 p.m., online virtual meeting via Zoom, and the website is limac.org. The Brookdale Computer Users Group meets Thursday, August the 24th. Meeting time is 7 p.m., online virtual meeting via Zoom, and the website is bcug.com. Tech Ed Connect meets Thursday, September the 7th. Meeting time is 7 p.m., online virtual meeting via Zoom, and the website is wpcug.org. The King's Byte Computer Club meets Tuesday, September the 12th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. They meet at the Park Plaza Restaurant at 220 Cadman Plaza West in Brooklyn. And for more information, their number is 347-278-7320. Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on PRN, live streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. If you have any questions for us, just send us an email addressed to hank at pcradioshow.org. In the meantime, stay in touch and remember to do regular backups. I'm Hank Key, and on behalf of Michael Horowitz, Benjamin Rockwell, and Marty Winston, we thank you for listening. Stay safe and healthy till we meet again, same time, same station, next week.